the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. My guest's latest book, Brutal War, is up on LarryOda.com. Brutal War, a study of combat in the Southwest Pacific. He is a 25-year Army vet who served in Europe, Korea, and stateside. Uh, He is with the Heritage Foundation. Please welcome back national security and foreign policy expert James Carafano. James, thank you very much for taking the time. I appreciate it. It's just a real honor to be on the show. James, so much to cover. Is Putin losing this war, James? Hey, I've got some really interesting updates for you. I actually just talked to someone who has family in in Ukraine, and I, I don't want to go into too many details because their family's actually been targeted by the Russians. But um, they are, are working on the ground. They actually evacuated from Kiev and Ukraine, and then just a few days ago, they went back. And not only did they go back, when they got on the train, the train going back to Ukraine, which had been ferrying out refugees, was full of people. It was full of people going back to Kiev, going back into the capital, which, um, you know, I think really reflects that the Ukrainian, not only the determination to fight, but, but the fact that the Ukrainians think that, that they, they, can, they can do this. Um, and uh, there, look, there are some tough battles going on, and, and they're going to lose some ground. But um, they think they can fight for their country. And if you actually look at the Russian tactics, basically what the Russians have proven is they can, they can kill a lot of innocent people, and they can flatten a lot of ground. But none of that actually helps you get to a military objective. So um, they've yet to demonstrate the, the real capacity to break through um, serious defenses uh, and and uh, and to seize key military objectives. And, uh, and it's very clear that they, in some parts of the campaign, they're, they're actually running out of, of manpower uh, to do that. So uh, I, I don't think anybody, I don't even think the Ukrainians thought that we would be where we are right now. Um, this is a, a level of fighting that, I mean, this is the interesting thing about this conflict. It just reminds me so much of, of the outbreak of the war in 1914. Nobody that has anything to do with this conflict thought we would be here. Every, everybody, mm-hmm. the Ukrainians, the Russians, the Chinese, us, NATO, we are all working without a plan because nobody thought we'd be here. So literally every leader of the world today, every general on the battlefield, Every NGO helping out, we are literally making this up as we go along. Uncharted territory. I remember in 1914 studying that war extensively, and you're quite right. Virtually all sides thought the whole thing would be over in a matter of weeks. Yeah, and and uh, 
Look, and Zelensky's going to talk tomorrow to Congress, which just the fact that he's getting up and talking is, is I think, such a problem for Putin. I don't actually think that a lot's going to come out of that. I think the West is doing about what it's going to do. They've deployed more forces. It shows that they're willing to defend NATO territory. But I think it's very clear they are not going to you know, become active belligerents in, in this conflict. Um, they're doing a lot to help. Uh, with the refugees, but you know the thing that nobody's talking about. It, there are parts of Ukraine which are actually not in Western Ukraine, not being invaded. There are millions of internally displaced refu- uh, uh, persons in Ukraine, and nobody is helping them. Right? The, the international aid agencies are not going into Ukraine to help the people that are there, and that's a, a big challenge and problem. But and and I I I, I doubt they're going to do that. Um, they're, they're providing military aid and assistance, and this is really what I think is what keeping the Ukrainian, Ukrainians in the fight. But every day I talk to people that say, look, I, I had a guy, I had a sheriff today, so I have four, four units of body armor. How do I get them to Ukraine? I'm not joking. And then I had somebody say, I've got a couple of million dollars. How many, you know, how many suits of body armor and helmets can I buy, and how quickly can we get them to Ukraine? Mm-hmm. And people say, I got planes. You know, just tell me where to fly them, and we'll take this stuff there. So that lifeline which I don't think the Russians can cut off. That's going to allow the Ukrainians uh, to keep fighting. I don't think the West is going to do a ton more than that. So uh, now, I, you know, I, I think we could be in, in for a protracted uh, conflict. James, and- with this destruction, with this resistance, with this likelihood of an insurgency in the event that somehow uh, the Ukraine is quote-unquote defeated, what's the prize? What's the point? If I'm Vladimir Putin, I'm not inheriting a country that's intact where the people are greeting me uh, as liberators uh, and and where I'm, I'm celebrated in my own country. I now have about 6,000 people in Russia who've now been arrested. I'm sure you heard about this brave uh, news editor who's showed up uh, during a newscast holding up a sign saying it's all lies. What am I winning now? What's the prize? Well, I mean, certainly uh, it's going to be different than the initial objectives. I mean, the goal was literally a a bloodless campaign that would be over in days, and then you would have all the infrastructure, all the people, all the resources of Ukraine, and you could extract resources rather than pouring them in. Um, the, the, you know, the West wouldn't really have time to do anything. The Chinese would completely have your back. Um, that's obviously not the situation we're going to have here. The, the best, the best case—I hate to use the word best—best best case scenario for Putin is he he finally grinds the country and conquers it. Um, then essentially, you've got 40, 40 plus million starving people with no infrastructure uh, that uh, that you have to feed and clothe, and instead of pulling resources out, you have to put them in. It would take, by some estimates, the entire Russian military to occupy the, the country, which could prove quite restive, like, like Afghanistan. And you, you've got a, a sizable, massive uh, debt. And the, long, the longer this goes on, the more people are inclined to do the sanctions, the more damage to your economy. And then even if you have grander design, which if, which you, if, if he survives, which we all assume he does, he's going to have to take a strategic pause before and and before he can do anything out and that pause could be anywhere from months to years but here's the one thing i would take away from this win lose or draw this is what we learned about russia they're willing to take risks and you could say make all kinds of jokes about the russian army and they're going to cave everything else 
they're good at one thing, which is they can kill a lot of innocent people. They're ver- they, they're good at that, and they can and they can destroy their livelihood and, and infrastructure. And as long as that army is in being and Putin is their master, the threat to the freedom and peace and prosperity of the West and of Europe does not go away. James, how many Ukrainians have been killed uh, in this full-scale invasion? How many Russian soldiers have been killed? Your best estimate. Well, there's, I mean, thousands. And, and, and the matter of fact, in, in, a, in the three-week campaign, the Russians, you know, if, if we believe the numbers or even anything close to numbers, have already had more casualties than the United States had in our entire war in Afghanistan, from the first guys in after 9-11 to when they left, to when Biden posted the last one out. So these are very, very sizable casualties for the Russian military. They have not experienced losses like this um, in a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. James, uh, the Russian military bogged down in the north, bogged down in the east, bogged down in the south. Does that increase the likelihood of the, the introduction of chemical and biological weapons? And if so, what does that look like? What is our response if that happens? Well, I, you know, I would say this. Uh, you know, I've said this before in your show. This is in their doctrine. They're, first of all, they have the capabilities to both employ chemical and nuclear weapons. Um, it's in their doctrine. They train that. They practice that. And it says if you cannot achieve your military objective, it's permissible to use these and, and to use them first. Um, and, again, it wouldn't be war with NATO because it would be on Ukrainian territory. Having said that, the longer the war drags on, the more isolated Putin is and even the more his allies – have to distance themselves from him, um, that puts a lot of additional pressure on him not to do that. But I, I'm not going to take bet on this in Vegas. James, I just mentioned the possibility of the introduction of nuclear weapons. You drop a bomb on Kiev. What does that look like? What does that do? What about radiation? What about other people surrounding that area uh, dying? How, how does that look? Yeah. So uh, this is actually... I know that. I was in the military for 25 years, and, and actually for a good portion of my career, I was a nuclear planet. I'm some, probably one of the few people on your show that's actually assembled nuclear weapons. Um, so so first of all, it depends on, on how big a bomb you want. So we're probably, and again, we're all speculating here. We don't know what the Russians are going to do, um, you know, so it's all just guesswork. So um, they have what's called tactical nuclear weapons. These are very, very small yields. Now, some of these yields are so small that the, the, the actual effects are not demonstrably that much bigger than, than some of the, 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 the uh, you know, air, air gas fusion bombs that they drop. I mean, these are like sub-kiloton yields, like point whatever. Um, larger ones, like it, you know, which is still attacked like a 10 kT. So if you think of, of the the World Trade Center collapsing, that was about the energy of a 10 kT. But if, if that had been, instead of the building collapsing and all the energy going into the ground, you do a low air burst. And what that means is you do it above the ground. And what that does is instead of the, it, that absorbing all the nuclear energy, it, it, it radiates out. So, so for example, if I, if I, rather than the collapse of the buildings, if I took that same energy and I burst it a few thousand feet in the air, that the extent of the nuclear explosion would go all the way to um, – to the Brooklyn Bridge. So it, it makes a dramatic difference. Radiation on these tactical nuclear weapons is probably less of an issue. 
the destructive radius of the the uh, the bomb is probably going to fry everything anyway. And uh, the, and probably actually the greatest danger from nuclear weapons, we don't even really know how to calculate because we've never done it, mm-hmm. is mass fire because it's going to start these giant firestorms. Um, now, the question is, what do you do with that? So in, in all likelihood, if they were going to do nuclear weapons, um, they might just do like one and just think that that will just scare the hell out of everybody and the Ukrainians will collapse. It's very difficult to see how they can use them militarily because um, – there aren't large formations to target, and the Russians have proven really incapable of finding things other than fixed targets. So all they could really drop something on is kind of a fixed location. Um, so they might take out a command post or, or like, they drop bombs and leave anything, but they, they don't actually need nuclear weapons to do that. And if they dropped a bomb on the city, of course, that, that, that city then becomes useless. So uh, from a battlefield standpoint, there's not – really a whole lot the Russians can do with these weapons, they really would just be terror weapons to scare um, the Ukrainians into submission. But you could do, like I said, you could do a very small, low yield. It would really scare the hell out of everybody, um, but uh, but, it, but it wouldn't like spread mass radiation across Europe or anything like that. I think so far only one NATO country, James, has called for a no-fly zone, and that's Estonia. What is your opinion about that? Well, well, first of all, I, I think one of my real frustrations with President Biden and with many of the other leaders is they spend all their time talking about what they're not going to do. Um, and you know what? I think there, you know, there are two ways to do this, kind of public channels and private channels. It's okay through kind of private back channels to send messages to your adversary about where things are. This is what, the, what uh, Kennedy did during the Cold War. I think publicly, when you, when you say these pronouncements about all the things we're not going to do— it, it actually, I think, it signals weakness. Right? So the, the problem with the no-fly zone is, one, is it, it actually wouldn't really change the military dynamic on the ground. The Russians aren't actually flying into Ukrainian airspace to do air attacks. They're flying from Russian airspace and then just shooting into Ukraine. So that wouldn't really help. Um, most of the destruction is really being done by artillery and um, Missiles, so the, it, it, the, it wouldn't do much there. To actually enforce the no-fly zone, um, th- that would mean you'd also have to ground Ukrainian aircraft, which I don't think you want to do, and you'd actually have to be shooting at Russian targets. So it would make you a belligerent. And, and actually, the most effective air operations are being done by, by drones, which, which um, and a no-fly zone really wouldn't affect because they can't really see and shoot down the drones. So I, I don't think it militarily makes sense. Uh, I thought the idea of giving the Ukrainians aircraft made infinitely more sense if they, because they still have airfields and they still have logistics and pilots and they could use them. I thought we were really kind of stupid by saying, well, we don't want to we don't want to give them aircraft because the Russians will see that as escalatory. So here's a guy who's invaded 44 million people and he's slaughtering them at will. And we're worried about, you know, annoying him. So uh, I'm all for giving the Ukrainians uh, any weapons that we possibly can. And really, that's what's keeping them in the fight as well as food and medical aid. Ja- um, but not the end of James, 20 seconds. Uh, IEDs, uh, excuse me, unmanned drones have flown over NATO airspace. I think we've even uh, downed a couple of them. Uh, isn't that, quote, escalatory? 
Well, I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, the escalation, is, I, I, you don't know if they drifted off base or whatever, what their intent and everything else was. So, uh, and, you know, when, when do you declare something uh, to the point of um, you're going to retaliate for that? I would say this, and again, I think we should talk less about what we're, we should talk about what we're doing and not doing. But um, if, if the Russians did something in NATO territory, and my speculation is NATO's response would be proportional, right? So if a bomb drifted over, they might take out right. source of the thing that fired the bomb. And but I don't think we're going to. I don't think this is going to escalate. There's a lot of steps on the escalatory okay, ladder, and I don't think either side's really prepared for that. James, we're going to have to leave it there. James, as always, thank you very much for your time and for your expertise. We appreciate it. The best. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.